Hey people, I'm Juba, a London-born, Essex-raised and Berlin-based DJ and welcome back to Series 2 of the Assurance Podcast. Last year, I released Assurance, the documentary that I made about the experiences of female DJs in Nigeria. After its release, I realised that there were so many other stories to explore and I wanted to continue the conversations that were started with the first documentary. In each episode, I'm going to be talking to inspiring women DJs in the global south and delving into their own personal journeys, their local music scenes and the impact of their social context on their careers and lives. Series 2 of the Assurance Podcast is sponsored by Adidas and Zalando as part of their Step Into You campaign, which is all about empowerment and confidently taking up space. Like, it makes me feel really weird. And this this was a thing in, like, in Glasgow as well. Like, I constantly felt like I was only being booked because I was a chick and I was brown and I was, you know, like... Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, the intersections, right? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to come to Karachi and that's going to change. And I'm like, oh, shit, like, I'm still a woman. So, <laughs> it's, uh, like, the brown Muslim thing, whatever, is gone. But, like, I'm still a chick. So, I, I still feel like that a lot of times. Hello people and welcome back to the Assurance Podcast 2.0 with myself Juba. I'm back with you guys for another Monday episode with another DJ representing the Global South. So today I'm looking forward to talking to Lila. She's a very international DJ who's lived in nine countries including Tanzania, Canada, Pakistan of course and Scotland. And she started DJing after she moved to Scotland seven years ago for university. And she started a charity club night there called Sunnyside Up that aimed to raise funds for solar technologies in rural and remote areas of Pakistan. And she's recently moved back, well, permanently moved back to Pakistan at the start of the pandemic and has DJed throughout Karachi and is also a host on Clyde Built Radio in Glasgow. She's also recently been accepted onto the British Council Saffron Music Programme, which is supporting Pakistani women who want to start producing in DJing and promoting so I'm very excited to have you on here today as always how are you doing Lila? I'm well thank you for having me thank you for coming on I'm glad we finally made this happen <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me again thank you and I'm excited I'm excited to chat to you today me too how, how are you feeling right now what's up I'm feeling good it's pretty hot here so I'm a bit I'm a bit slow today it's like 45 degrees we've been waiting for the rain to come but it has not come yet <laughs> so, wait is it like 45 degrees celsius yeah celsius so it feels like 45 degrees there's like no wind outside it's sunny and very muggy and we're waiting for the monsoon rains to come and they're just yeah they're not they're not they're not showing any face so far that is insane is that abnormal um so it does get pretty hot here in this region but if you look at it statistically like the temperature has been rising and mm. it's definitely a lot to do with climate change, I would say. We're in a desert, so it just, I guess it's inevitable also. But Karachi is also on the sea, so we get like a little sea breeze every once in a while. But when it's when it's stagnant, like it is right now, it's just it's just hot and humid like unbearable. and sweaty. Yeah. And I just yeah. feel like we're moving into a future of like more of these sorts of like weather patterns. And like, obviously things are normal, but you know, the sort of extremities and the failed weather like patterns and systems. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, good luck. <laughs> I, hope <laughs> Thank the, you. I hope the rain comes soon, the monsoon season. <laughs> anyway, let's get into the conversation. Sweet. Now, Lila, I want to kick off the conversation to sort of understand your DJ journey. So with everyone I speak to, I like to understand how you started your career as a DJ. I believe you started when you moved to Scotland for university. So tell us, when was the first time you touched a pair of decks? Um, So the first time I touched a pair of decks was uh, when I was at St. Andrews and a few of my friends used to DJ. So one of my friends, Andreas, he's based in Berlin now. He had these turntables and everyone was too scared to touch them. Oh, really? (laughs) He's like, be careful, be careful. So we were all like, I'm like, okay, I'm not touching that. But uh, I used to just watch them DJ for like maybe two or three years and I just did not have the balls to do it. I don't know if it was like a like a guy girl thing because it was all just like my guy friends who used to 
who's to kind of mess about and mm-hmm. play tunes. So I just never touched it. Like all throughout university, I never touched it. We used to throw parties and like they used to come and DJ, but I never, like I just never had the guts. Um, so eventually when I moved to Glasgow, some of my friends from uni who had also moved to Glasgow around the same time as me signed me up for this first time DJ night, I guess, at the art school. And I literally, I'd never touched CDJs before. I'd only like seen him like use his techniques. So I show up at this gig with a USB. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> and like nothing is like nothing is like gone through record box. Like just everything is just like super amateur. And I plug this USB in and it has like 200 songs that I've just been like listening to on Spotify or whatever at the time. And that was the first time <laughs> I touched you a pair of tags. <laughs> it was just weird because it was like a pretty packed room. Um, and I didn't know like what a filter was. I didn't know. Like I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew like where the play button was and where the the crossfader was. <laughs> and it's quite yeah. a public space to like try for the first time, right? Like right in there, people watching you. But I guess because you were starting, people were like hopefully understanding. Yeah, they're pretty understanding. I mean, I had my I had a low pass filter on the whole time, and someone actually came up to me, <laughs> uh, and he's like, "Yo, like your filter is on." I'm like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I'm like, "Fix it." What is that thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, we've all been there. Sort of like the sound isn't coming out right, and you're like, "What the hell's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" And it's like, yeah, because your low isn't turned up, or like because you've got a filter on, or something, or the crossfader yeah. is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a bit much. It was fun though. I think university is such a moment for like trying new things. I remember when I moved to university, it was more so that everyone played the guitar. And I literally, after my first year of university, I bought a guitar. I could play a few chords and I have no idea what the guitar is now. <laughs> but like, <laughs> that was what I did. But um, yeah, I think especially at university as well, for me, it was very much the guys were the DJs in a way. Like I, I ran um, parties, especially in my final year. Um, but it was mainly all the guys who did the DJ and I think I had a slight interest but it never really occurred to me to like really want to but I guess sometimes it takes time to actually like build up I don't know whether courage the interest or if you kind of like you just assume certain people do it you're like okay I'm just gonna watch from the wings and never actually get involved so I'm glad you did and tell us about your first gig how did that go so that was my first gig the art school started off great in the middle, it was a little bit nerve-wracking. You know, I kind of remember having a lot of fun, and I, I saw a photo of myself from that night a couple of weeks ago, and I looked pretty happy, so I was definitely happy. <laughs> <laughs> you had a good time. Uh, yeah, I had a great time. And I just remember that, like, that guy who was helping me with the filter, like, he was, like, trying to, you know, like, try to f- fix my levels and stuff. And I just remember these two chicks, like, standing next to the decks, like, leave her alone she knows what she's doing like <laughs> women like she's a woman she can do it and I was like no dude like I don't know I what don't I'm <laughs> let him help me yeah do you know what sometimes I do think like there's all these conversations about mansplaining and blah blah but sometimes I'm not gonna like I just don't know what I'm doing and mm-hmm. it just so happens that there's a man that helped me but I do actually want the help like I had a gig a while back and like I was convinced I was gonna go home I was like there's no sound I don't know what's going on I can't hear anything I spent like 20 minutes waiting for the tech guy to come up and it just turned out that I didn't turn the volume on. And it's just like <laughs> that kind of stuff. Sometimes you actually just do need the help because you don't know the basic stuff. But also, yeah, you had just started DJing. So of course you did need the tech guy there. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so wait, just to clarify. So your first gig was the first time you touched decks as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> that your first time touching decks was your first time playing that's like proper throwing you in the deep end but you enjoyed it yeah I loved it and I had a good little crew with me and everyone was very supportive and it was fun like the bartenders were dancing and and that's I think that's what I kind of figured I think at that spot I was like listen it's not about like the mixing and stuff just like make sure everyone's dancing and like yeah, I had done that cool. before like without the decks or with without decks mm-hmm. like through cassettes cds whatever mp3 players like, I was able to always do that. So I'm like, okay, just focus on what you're good at. Yeah, for is... sure. So it worked out, which was great. And then I went to the smoking sh- section, like, after my set was over. And some dude came up to me and he's like, yo, like, great job. And I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, <laughs> thank you. He's like, do you want to play at my party next week? I was like, are you, like, are you fucking serious? <laughs> nice. You, got, you booked a gig. You, you're, you're a natural. You're a natural. Yeah, it was super weird. It was I was I was very like taken aback. I'm like, dude, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, whatever you learn. 
I like your music. Come play at my party. I was like, okay. That's cool. <laughs> and I think, though, like, for me, now that I DJ, I think I care more about transitions and all that kind of stuff, all the sort of wanky technical stuff. But your average person who isn't DJing as well, and even your DJs, they don't care as much about sort of the transition or the technical things. They just care about, just say, do you make them dance? Do you play music they like? And that's very important. When you have that basis, I think it makes the rest of it much easier in a way. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Right, so Lila, I'm such a sort of sucker for finding out about societies. I find just like exploring the rest of the world very interesting and it's been really cool talking to DJs from literally all the corners of the global south um, to understand what's going on in their context. And Pakistan is not a place that I'm very familiar with. So tell us what's going on in Pakistan. What's the situation over there? Um, How is life in Karachi? It's a very difficult question. So... (laughs) So basically, Pakistan has a lot of inequality. Um, so the society that I belong in, like the, I don't, I don't really see it as representative of the rest of the country. Like sometimes I actually feel bad for calling myself Pakistani because it's mm. literally, I'm like in that 0.05% and I'm not like loaded or anything, you know, it's the, there's just so much disparity that I just automatically am in that quota. Mm. So it's not like you have to be a millionaire. You have to be kind of like middle class and upper and there's like a disproportionate amount of wealth that you'll have compared to your average person yeah basically I kind of look at it as I think I think it was my dad or someone they're like yeah basically anyone who can buy a plane ticket and get out of Karachi is in that tier (laughs) which is interesting so is it like a very divided society super divided and mostly in terms of and mostly in terms of like wealth and like class I'm not really used to it like after living in so many different places and like having your friends work at like bars and coffee shops and like, you know, like, I don't know, at like mechanics and stuff like over here, like, I don't, I'm not friends with any of these people. And like, I don't think I ever will be because there's so much of a culture difference between us also. It's like a very interesting place. Like you still find like parties and like you go to the beach, there's restaurants, there's cafes, um, but there's not like any culture of like walking on the streets or sitting on a bench or like going to the park in the middle of the afternoon. Like that's just not something that really happens you're mostly just chilling at people's houses or like in a restaurant and why is that the general public will go out to all of these public places but like like if I tell my friends that oh hey I'm gonna go to like Sea View Beach that's like the local beach in Karachi they'll be like ew like why the fuck are you going there you know (laughs) I'm like what do you mean like everyone's going there like the whole the whole society is going there everyone's chilling they're like eating their corn in the cobs they're like flying their kites like it's fun they're like no like why would you like want to go to like such a public place so I I don't know what it is I don't necessarily agree with it and I'm still kind of getting used to it because I've only been here for a year and a half like I'll go to these places and I'll go like in my jeans and stuff like without like a blanket or whatever um and people will stare at me but I'm like hey like this is my city too I should be able to like enjoy these things you know would you say the negative is like a negative uh relationship that the sort of zero percent have against the rest of the population yeah yeah I would say that for sure 100 percent People call me out for doing a lot of things here. Like, I'll, like I said, like I'll just go to places by myself. I drive here. Like a lot of my friends don't drive here. They have drivers or they have like servants like doing things for them at home, for example. Like I don't have any of that. So like my lifestyle is like completely different from the society that I'm part of here. It mirrors what I kind of feel like Nigerian society can be like. I think if you're in an elite, I mean, even sort of normal middle class people, working class or just average person has like a helper. But I think if you go to elite parts of societies, there is that that massive like distinction between the local people and the people have like international lifestyles and stuff like that. How do you feel about the way that the elite or upper class or whatever you call it treat the rest of Pakistani society? Because that's quite interesting. I do not agree with it. I don't think that anyone should have so much money that I, I mean, like a lot of people do give, don't get me wrong. And I, I know that a lot of the a lot of people who obviously like have workers and stuff, they're they're supplying people with jobs, you know, like that person who's working in their house, like needs some money, they need that job. So I agree with that. As long as they're treating them respectfully and like not not being like rude to them and stuff, which I do see happen a lot. I don't agree with that at all. Um and there are a lot of people here who have a lot like a lot of money and I just see this money being thrown on a lot of silly stuff and I mean I'm not I I shouldn't I'm not judging but I'm just I just personally in general don't think that 
wealth should be closed in like that redistribution tax the rich yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. and i've stood by that like no matter where i am like whether like i went to st andrews in scotland like that's the university i went to and like i saw these issues happening there also and i've never agreed with that i've always been like a little bit more i wouldn't call myself a socialist but like i've always like kind of um been on that side of the spectrum yeah i mean i i'm i hate elite it's hard because you know if i go to nigeria for example chances are at some point i might end up in the same venue as some of the rich kids who went to my university whose parents are like you know greedy politicians or something not all of them but some but i don't know i really dislike that kind of elitism um mm-hmm. i dislike that kind of like the, the social design ride and i i guess i say that being conscious that if i am to go to somewhere maybe like karachi i probably would be more likely to i don't know where race would play into it but i probably would be more likely to being closer contact with you know society that you're part of as opposed to the you know everyday person but I think it's just such a shame that there's that mentality of like why would you go there why would you do that but is there anything else uh <laughs> anything else about Karachi that you kind of like I don't know could share or Pakistan I do kind of really love Karachi I won't die though there's a lot of culture here there's a lot of history here and there's a lot of different there's like a lot of different cultures that are represented within Karachi there's like the Parsi community there's the Hindu community this Christian community Muslim community and everyone's kind of like coexisting with each other which I think is really cool um and Karachi is like sort of the hub of Pakistan so everyone like comes here to work so when you walk around the streets or you're driving like you'll see a lot of different faces there's a lot of like diversity which I find really cool about Karachi, which you don't see as much in the other cities. Like if you go to Lahore, it'll be like just Punjabi faces. That's the province mm. that Lahore is in. If you go to Istanbul, it's mostly like diplomats and like a lot of um, Chinese expats who have come. So you don't see like that much diversity, but Karachi is like a salad bowl. Like it's just everyone. And you mm. and you walk, you hear like a bunch of different languages. There's like all sorts of food. The street food is bomb. It's so good. And the music scene is pretty good too. Not just for like electronic music, but just just mm. like folk music and Punjabi music, Pashto music, mm-hmm. lots of lots of hip hop coming out too, out of some of the slum areas and in Karachi, which is pretty cool as well. It's like a super bustling place. Like it's always there's always something happening. That's cool. I love street food first of all, but I think it's really nice to hear like you know people just get on because I think especially um, in around the world there's this notion, uh, maybe outside the West as well that like you know different religions are always clashing and Christians and Muslims and Jews and you know Hindus are just never getting on and there's always like some kind of religious turmoil so the fact that people just like coexist is is really important to like hear that in a way yeah yeah Yeah. I mean don't get me wrong there's still like clashes like there's a there's this community here called the Amity community and they're pretty much just like not the government just like does not recognize them (laughs) so like there's always like two sides to everything it's pretty brutal actually like a lot of my friends have had to move out of the country because people are like oh you're Amity like I don't accept you. <laughs> like, you're oh, a non-believer. Wow. I don't accept you. Yeah, it's a pretty massive problem, actually. Well, Emadi so, is what? It's a non-believer. Like, you don't believe in anything. No, so Emadis are Muslims. Um, I don't know the okay. exact details behind it, but basically they... I think there is, like, a certain part of Islam that they believe that's not accepted by, I guess, Sunnis and Shias. And the government is just like, okay, we just, like, don't accept them because they don't oh, wow. believe exactly what we believe, you know? Um, so it's, that's a form of persecution. Um, that is not great to hear. Um, and I always hate doing this because I'm kind of like, this is quite a serious topic. Anyway, onto the music scene. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess you hinted on it, but, like, tell us more about, like, the music scene in Karachi. I guess how the diversity of the population impacts it. You're talking about the hip-hop scenes in the slums. Like, I'm interested to hear more. Mm, so the music scene in Karachi is pretty diverse. The hip-hop scene. There has been a lot of really good quality hip-hop music that has come out in the last like since I've been here I can speak I can speak for the last two years mm. um, and it's not just been in Karachi it's been like in Lahore Samba there's there's like a really cool rapper from like Hunza which is like the northern areas and they have like a really cool style like they'll be rapping in like English and Urdu and Punjabi and like their local languages and they'll kind of just like all mix it in together and it'll still have like a nice like hip-hop like a classic hip-hop beat but it'll have like a very like Pakistani twist to it as well and it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. like and it's and I think it's really bringing people together like now when I go to parties and will people put like some of these songs on like everyone will be singing along and that's something that I didn't really see besides like Bollywood music and stuff so it's really cool Mm -hmm. and I think Vice did a cover on this 
tiny hip hop scene in this place a little bit outside of where I live called Leari and there was all these little kids who were pretty much just I guess just watching YouTube and like getting inspiration that's really cool yeah and it, I guess they have accessibility to like all of these music tools and they just started making beats and rapping and Vice picked them up and and yeah they just I guess they just kind of low-key made it <laughs> that's really cool um to see that sort of movement in uh in like Karachi in the hip-hop scene but yeah what about electronic music or even the music that you play the worlds that you're part of if you wanted to go out on a Monday Tuesday any day of the week like you'll probably find a party where there's like some sort of electronic music playing I found like a really cool crew here but no one really like plays the music I used to play at clubs like in in like Berlin or like New York or like even gospel i can't like replicate those sets here for some reason because <laughs> i think a lot of people here listen to like very progressive house like that's kind of the norm so it'll be like mm. a four by four beat and like if someone will be there with their controller sometimes without headphones and it'll just be like the sync button will be on i'm not like it's fine it's totally fine but like it'll just be <laughs> no like, judgment the same by judgment <laughs> yeah i'm like there's like just no diversity you know like the, he knows like that or he or she knows like the next song is going to sound like the song they just played so they don't need to like check it <laughs> yeah i feel you and that that goes on for like hours here so when i started playing here i think i kind of caught some people by surprise i'll literally play like a hip-hop tune i'll play an italo tune i'll play a disco tune and then i'll play like four house tracks and then I don't know, like something break BD. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. people got a little bit like, what the fuck is going on here? And a lot of people liked it, which is cool. So I started getting books for gigs and making friends who kind of like appreciated that sort of music. And a lot of those scenes were a lot smaller. So it was mostly like house parties that I was playing at. Um, but the more commercial stuff, I don't really go go to like commercial events here. Just I don't feel comfortable going a lot of the times. And I also like can't listen to progressive house for six hours <laughs> how come you don't feel comfortable going so even when i get booked for a gig here i ask for the guest list i'm like i need to know who's coming because there's still like a little bit i don't know like guys can be a little bit creepy sometimes and there can be like a lot of drugs involved and i just i don't feel like i'm in a safe space a lot of the times like i need like my crew to be there like i don't go anywhere alone <laughs> what is it about the club scenes that means you can't guarantee that safety there's been a lot of instances like there there was a couple of big events that happened here last year where there was also security and a lot of women were harassed and it was on the news um and and that's just, that was a big scene even at like small scenes that we have like at the beaches and stuff like i've heard shit go down there where like people have had to get beaten up because they've like grabbed someone's girlfriend's ass or it's just, it's just, and I, the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, I don't ever want this to happen to me because I will call them out on it or like I will hurt someone. <laughs> like I just like can't. <laughs> I know, like sometimes it's like, even in Berlin, like the misogyny can be mad in some parts. And it's like when something happens, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to have to defend myself and I'm probably going to either get hurt or frustrated, but fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. And you'd rather just not get in that situation because it just is not a nice situation to be in. Yeah, for real. But like, the cool thing about, I guess, any, anywhere else but here is that you can go up to a bouncer or, like, the promoter or, like, a bartender and be like, yo, like, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Maybe not all of the time, but, like, most of the times, like, I feel like you have access to that. Mm-hmm. Over here, like, there are a couple of scenes that my friends throw where they're very respectful about these sort of things. But, like, majority of the times, like, I I don't even think I would, like, trust the promoter to to really do anything. To do anything. So it's like there's a long way to go. Um, we're going to definitely talk more about like, your experience as a woman in the music scene as well. But I, so it's just like progressive house for six hours. Uh, no, no headphones. There's a cool <laughs> upcoming hip hop scene, which is quite cool. Um, I find it interesting that like from a lot of people I've spoken to, like, I don't know, in India and stuff like that. It's like house is such a big thing. I mean, obviously, India, Pakistan, different countries. Um, but like house seems to be such a big thing in like a lot of global south locations they love it yeah i don't know what it is i think maybe i think the culture is like coming in now so maybe that's Mm. kind of like the foundation and then hopefully it'll kind of evolve from there but also what about like local uh sort of music like you know you're talking about sufi music so i don't know the words but like traditional or like local music from you know pakistan what what about those scenes there is so much of it and honestly it is so cool since a lot of it comes from sufi culture it's very like mystic it's very kind of like trance like so i don't know if you know what a kawali is a kawali is basically a traditional sort of i guess it's i guess it's traditional to the whole south asian region and it's made up of singers sitar players tabla players and it's all acoustic 
um and these kawalis go on like they'll start at like 11 p.m and they'll go on to like sunrise and i think traditionally like people used to like drink like have a little wine and stuff and like chill and go into like actual trances like listening to this music i think it might be like my favorite music genre from here what's it called these- sufi music uh, Kawalis, so Q-A-W-W-A-L-I. Okay, Kawali. So it's like devotional singing. Um, and these songs are like, sometimes they're like hours long. <laughs> and they have them at like uh, some of the shrines, and like Sufi shrines in Pakistan. Like people will actually like go on Thursdays and like just to listen to Kawali music and like meditate. So is it like a mixture of like partying but also spirituality like would you have that in a club honestly i don't think you would have no i don't think you would have it in a club i've heard some like kawali remixes (laughs) which which have been pretty cool but no i don't think it'd really be in a club setting okay but that's like a really important like a very popular part of like music in karachi that's really cool i'm actually gonna like look into that more because it's also interesting to hear about something else that isn't sort of a house and stuff or like you know techno that's made its way over yeah i was gonna say actually uh it's there's been a real interesting like movement in london particularly in terms of south asian sort of musical representation uh i have a friend called i had a dream who like connected with people like daytimers and these other collectives in london and they're really pushing like the sort of south asian sort of contemporary music agenda in london and it's really cool to see intertwining sort of like development of south asian music forms with sort of like say london grime or like sort of black heritage music or music that comes from the black community and when you're talking about the hip-hop music you know kids who were watching uh youtube videos and just sort of like making hip-hop tracks it kind of reminded me of that so i think it's really interesting to see movements in south asian music whether it's in pakistan or in the south asian region or in diaspora yeah 100 percent. and I, I i think there was a recent uh i think nabia iqbal did something with mix mag about yeah south, like south asian music and culture and i thought that was really cool i just think it's so crazy how like one tune or like a genre or something can like bring so many people together and like you don't even know these people and they're like living in the uk or in like pakistan or in canada or like wherever you know and like they're just vibing to this one song based on like mm-hmm. their identity definitely it still blows my mind like i just yeah I, it's insane <laughs> it's really it's cool. true it's like you all i mean i guess for me it's almost been uh, since the rise of Afrobeats or like you know obviously in the UK we had like UK Grime, Garage, uh, Funky House and these are all sort of been music forms that have come from certain communities like race-based or so like black communities, African communities, Nigerian communities so there, I guess there is that level of like pride and recognition that you have that is intertwined with the music as well that makes it so much more I guess like um powerful to dance to but I guess mm-hmm. as an outsider it's also interesting when you sort of engage with these cultures that are not yours but you co- you sort of feel some kind of affinity whether it's due to like the rhythms or the sort of cultural practices like I'm sure there's certain elements of I don't know uh like the South Asian community in London that definitely connect with like the sort of black Caribbean or like the African communities you know so I like that sort of culture but also like the had the ability for it to connect with others who are also not part of the community mm-hmm. 100% and um tell us as well so you kind of mentioned about safety and like harassment and stuff and when I first spoke to you you told me that basically there were no women who DJed in Karachi so tell me more about the scene in terms of like representation gender representation and stuff like that in terms of women DJs I think I know one Neha Khan who's who's like pretty like known here and then I know a lot of women producers here who are actually doing some really cool work. But like in terms of DJs, like I, I, so I've been booked for this gig on October 2nd. And the guy who's running it is really cool. He's super inclusive. But <laughs> on the lineup, it's it, I, like on the description for the thing, it's like, oh, like representing like women DJs and this and this. And there's literally just like me and her on the lineup <laughs> and like five other guys. And I'm like, why do you have to, like, make it, just, like, put us there. You don't have to, like, make it, like, oh, like, we have female, we're representing, like, female DJs. I'm like, there's, like, barely any. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) First of all, there are hardly any in the first place. So, like, don't pat yourself on the back too much. Second of all, I mean, I know I'm making a whole podcast based around women in music and DJs and gender representation. However, like, we just want to make it normal. Like, you don't need to be, like, the female DJ on the lineup or, like, you know, the the representation of your whole gender just literally put us on there in decent numbers and don't make a song and dance about it 
yeah like it makes me feel really weird and this this was a thing in like in Glasgow as well like I constantly felt like I was only being booked because I was a chick and I was brown and I was you know like oh my god yeah the intersections right yeah and I'm like you know I'm gonna come to Karachi and that's gonna change and I'm like oh shit like I'm still a woman so (laughs) it's uh, like the brown Muslim thing whatever is gone but like I'm still a chick so I, I still feel like that a lot of times and I'm like do people really like my music or are they just trying to like be woke you know yeah I know I mean we also live especially like I don't know post Black Lives Matter post like just the world becoming more woke we do live in a time where identity politics sells in a way so it's mm-hmm. like your gender and your race even though in some ways they can s- structurally hold you back especially when you're involved in scenes that try to be progressive in a way it's almost like that positive discrimination like do you always want it do you always want to be booked because you're a woman you know or because you're brown or because you're muslim because you're part of the lgbt community because you're you know trans because you're non-binary like you know yeah 100 percent. and i remember at the beginning like i used to voice this a lot to my pals and they're like yo whatever just like roll with it like take advantage of it but at one point I was like, yeah, you're right. I will take advantage of it. Like, yeah, book me. I'm a woman of, woman of color. But the other side of me is like, why? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. just book me because yeah. you like me. <laughs> yeah. And also you don't want to rest on that too much because I'm also very conscious about like wokeness and progressiveness and how it can be. Like right now, actually being an activist is genuinely cool. There's a freaking reality TV show coming up with Usher that's about activism. And I kind of think, when people get bored of caring about brown people or caring about black people or women or non-binary or like trans people, then, then what? Do you know what I mean? So you don't necessarily want to only rely upon the identity because it's also not necessarily genuine when people relate to you through that. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. I don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> but in the meantime, take the money, girl. Take the money. Yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> take take those guilt bookings and also show that you're good while you're doing it <laughs> yeah for real even yeah I'm playing a gig tonight and it's just that like I would I would never like really go to the scene but I was like yo like how much are you uh how much you paying me <laughs> <laughs> I'm like how much oh, you paying me and I'm I, I want five guest lists for my for my posse because like I need protection <laughs> yeah tell us more about that as well so we've established that there's basically like no women and, and also okay first of all why do you think there's like no women who DJ so I guess first first off in terms of accessibility there are no record shops here there are no music equipment shops here where you can get DJ equipment forget even like production equipment like it's not easy to get here like so I think first like lack of accessibility and I think that all kind of intertwines because the thing is like every city I've been to where there is like record shops even if people are not playing records people are listening to different music you know over here it's just like everyone's just listening to like sets on boiler room or like whatever it may be and they're just taking inspiration from that and you have to be part of that scene to like that sort of music so a lot of these people are like taking like pills and like you know like they're partying um mm. and most of those people happen to be guys why because a lot of chicks like don't want to be involved in these scenes because maybe their parents don't let them go out or maybe they don't feel comfortable there's just like no exposure like and there's no clubs and there's no like bars where you can listen to this sort of music. And, you know, it's just, it's very like closed off. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think definitely. accessibility is number one. And no matter what part of the world you're in, like no matter how safe it is, like if, you, if you're the only chick there, you're still going to be like watching your back, you know, like, oh, like yeah, what literally. am I? 100%. Like it's, uh, so I think that's, that's another big thing um also like a lot of people here like if you if you like google like pakistan harassment cases and this sort of stuff like it's kind of ridiculous like the woman is like usually always blamed like oh she was wearing this she was doing that our own prime minister our own prime minister has said oh like you know like you should cover up i'm like bitch i'm like you're (laughs) you're like a world traveled man like you were married to like an english lady like this 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 you did whatever you want you were a playboy and then you come up and like you say this so that's just kind of like in my opinion, the representation of like Pakistan, like our our prime minister, who's all like worldly and stuff, and he's still saying stuff like, "Oh, she should have covered up," you know. 
You know what? Like, I think, yeah, there's some societies where it's worse. And that's why there's so many debates on women covering up and this, that and the other. And like, I do believe that women should have the choice to decide how they dress. And a woman being covered up does not always equal oppression. I do feel like we live in a world where, like, ultimately... We cover up for our protection from the patriarchy in a way. And I hate the fact that women should feel like they have to cover up to be safe. However, whether they're covered up or not covered up, people will still rape, people will still have harassed. So it's nothing to do with what the woman's wearing. Do you know what I mean? Like there's parts of the world where women literally don't show flesh and I'm sure there's still harassment going on there. So that argument about like covering up is bullshit. But I do hate the fact that women's behavior, women's dressing is so dictated by men by male gazes by men not understanding that a woman showing her ankles is not an invitation for them to like harass her you know yeah 100 um, percent. and it's just and then also i mean your prime minister making those comments it's funny because it doesn't matter how worldly someone is i think sometimes especially when it's cultural like people can travel around the world and have their playboy moments but then when they come back to like maybe their their culture which might be more conservative they still have those elements in there no matter where they've lived or how many clubs in Berlin they've been to and even like sometimes guys know what they're capable of or what they do and so therefore they're even more kind of um I don't know restricted towards women like you know T.I. the rapper yeah when he basically was a sick thing where he's a rapper and he basically was checking his daughter's hymen to make sure it was still there to make sure she's still a virgin and everyone's like you're literally you're literally a rapper. Your entire career has been based around like objectifying women. And now because you know what an objectifier you can be, you're extra strict upon your daughter. So, you know, it's like, it's crazy. Like it comes from the, the knowledge of their own freaking perversion. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> 100%. But that's what my mom always says to me. She's like, because over here, like I just, people always ask me like, oh, what do you wear in Pakistan? You know, I'm like, mate, I just like, yeah, if I like, I'll wear crop tops and stuff. But if I'm in public, like I'll just like, put on like another shirt on top of it until I get somewhere where it's okay for me to wear it. But my mom's just like, she's like, just wear what you want. Like, let them look if they want to look like, (laughs) but she's like, just like, make sure it's not something that's going to make you feel uncomfortable. But if you're comfortable in what you're wearing, then you do you. And that's their problem. Like just. Mm -hmm. I think I make a conscious effort to try to live in or wear what I want to wear, but it just is. Yeah, you can wear what you want to wear, but it can sometimes feel unsafe and genuinely really uncomfortable. So it's like, how much are you willing to put yourself in a position to feel uncomfortable because you want to exercise your right to wear what you want? Yeah, 100%. And I guess I can imagine in the music scenes, behind the decks, in the clubs, in the venues, it's even worse. And as you say, if there's an issue of harassment in Pakistan, then it's like, I can understand why you just don't get that many girls who are, you know, out about at night. Yeah, 100%. So a lot of the scenes that I do play at, like the ones that I agreed to play at, people do make a conscious effort to kind of like make these safe spaces. So people will be wearing whatever they want, like, you know, and it'll be chill and they'll be doing whatever, drinking whatever, and it'll be a safe space, but everyone will know each other. There's not going to be like yeah. some random person in there. Everyone will like at least be acquaintances or friends. Like out- outside of that, there's like no random mm-hmm. people. <laughs> and if you want to be invited, you have to like, you know, like, so you have to, someone has to, like, give a reference, be like, oh, I yeah. can vouch for this guy. Yeah, you have to kind of exist in a bubble to do that, which isn't necessarily the ideal. Yeah, because you don't meet anyone new. You're just, like, partying with the same people, like, every weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Series two of the Assurance podcast is sponsored by Adidas and Zalando as part of their Step Into You campaign. This is all about women taking up space and self-empowerment by empowering others. So Lila, as I mentioned, this is a podcast that's sponsored by Adidas and Zalando and it's part of their Step Into You campaign. And so I also like to focus on sort of confidence and taking up space and looking at how you've done that. So you've been DJing for a while and you're in a very interesting sort of like intersection in Pakistan within your scenes and stuff like that. And also obviously you DJed and have played in places like Scotland. So tell us like, how have you been able to occupy space how do you sort of stand your ground in your career honestly it was not my intention to get into this scene I think I was always very I was always like kind of tempted by it (laughs) and then Mm. it just kind of happened um and it was hard at the beginning I was like what am I doing like I I'm like you know I have like my university degree I should be getting like this traditional job but I was like you know what like I love this and like this is fun and like I'm helping other people have fun as well So I just kind of, I have this like mentality where I just kind of, it might not be good sometimes, but I I just do what I want to do as long as it's not hurting other people. And I kind of just, 
own up to myself a lot of the times. I think I've moved around so much as well that I'm I'm very like comfortable in my own skin. And I think I have been since I was little. Sure, like I get a little bit of anxiety here and there, but I guess every like three years, like I would move to a new country, like since I was little and I had to like kind of like hold on to my identity and like have a lot of confidence in myself a lot of the times. Because you had to like make new friends, reintroduce yourself, be like, who am I? Like, who am I going to be like this time, you know? Mm. And and I did I did change that a lot. I remember, and it changed a lot based on music genre, which was weird. So like when I was in elementary school, I'd be like, oh, I listen to like Blink One Eighty Two and like Ramstein and like heavy metal. <laughs> and then I moved to Tanzania, and I was like, oh, now I listen to like you know like I started getting introduced to like a lot of Swahili music, and I started liking like more folk Pakistani music. And I'm like, okay, this is my identity now. Then I moved to Canada, and it was like all hip hop, and I'm like, okay, what is what is going on? I just kind of go with the flow and just. I, I do really trust myself and I, I do love myself and I have a lot of faith in, mm. in myself as well. But I think I've like kind of had to from moving around so much. Like I'm the only like constant I had in my life and like music, I guess. I obviously don't know you, but having spoken to you, you seem to have like a kind of laid back confidence. Like a like, yeah, I got this sort of thing. Um, and I hadn't thought about how maybe your experiences of traveling around the world and having to like reinvent and like reintroduce yourself to a whole new world every three years impacted your sense of like identity. Because I feel like it can also go the other way where you sort of lose yourself and don't necessarily know who you are or have like confidence in like what you're about. Yeah, and that did happen a lot. Um, so even the name Lila, for example, I pretty much gave myself that name. Uh, when I moved to Tanzania, because uh, no one could pronounce my first name, which is Manur. It means moonlight in Arabic. And I actually oh, really beautiful. like it. I'm like, my parents gave me this name, you know, but it was like, people couldn't pronounce it. So they'd be calling me like manure, manhor, manhood. I'm like, oh my God. You no, manure, manhood. Yeah. From such so a beautiful bad. name to literally shit. <laughs> I know. And I and back then, like, you know, PC wasn't a thing. So people used to of say course. this stuff and it was like, and it was kids. Kids are mean. And I just oh, remember, like, all these, like, Chinese kids would be in our class and they'd be like, oh, like, my name is Shizie, but, like, call me Tina. And I was like, why can't I do that? So then I just, I just gave myself this name, Lila. And, <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, you're just, like, trying to be someone else. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm trying to, like, protect my name my name and my identity and I don't want to be embarrassed by it because obviously like when you're 13 12 13 like and someone's calling Mm -hmm. you manure all all the time like it hurts you know do you think you're ever gonna uh, go back to your old name or your actual name or using your first name it's really funny because everyone here calls me manur a lot of my friends from university call me by my last name which is Safi (laughs) Mm. and then like some people call me Lila uh, my brother calls me Lila, but that's because his girlfriend's called Manur as well. So he just like he calls me Lila Separate, sometimes, yeah. which is funny. And it depends on the situation. Like if if people are like people who call me by my first name, like if they're like shooting the shit, like they'll be like, oh, Lila, like get that for me, you know. Um, so I kind of just respond to anything at this point. That makes me <laughs> laugh because I have a similar thing. So my first name is my first name on my passport is Pamela, actually. My middle name's Chinware and I've got my surname and I've got Juba as my DJ name. Um, and like when I was in school and I was younger, like, you know, I was a bit awkward about my name being Chinware because it's like a Nigerian name and I'm in the UK, you know, you're not very confident in your immigrant identity at that point. So like all my friends from like primary school and the start of secondary school all call me Pam or Pamela. And then I had this sort of moment when I was like, no, I'm going to embrace my Nigerian name because I'm proud of my heritage. And so I was like, no, I'm Chinware. So then a lot of my friends in university call me Chinware, but some call me Pam. And then I became Juba as a DJ and I moved to Berlin and I think like most people in Berlin think I'm actually called Juba. So it's sort of like a tear as well. Like if you know me really well, I'm Pam. If you know me kind of well, but also whatever, it's Chinware. If you kind of know me from Berlin life and from like DJ life, it's Juba. So I have all these different names that I respond to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you get it. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's interesting. Like, you know, you kind of, your confidence came from you having to basically hold your own and like what motivates and inspires you in general, whether it's in like music or yeah, life. Um, I would say my parents for sure, a hundred percent. Like they, I've, I've only lived in, I mean, not only, I guess nine's a lot, but my, my dad's lived in like probably over 20 countries. My mom's had to be apart from him a lot to like raise us, I guess. She pretty much like gave up everything and like moved, moved like all over the world to like raise these like two kids. So she brings me a lot of inspiration. And my dad was always helping because he's, he's worked for the UN for, what was it? Like, I think over 30 years, he just retired. So I think I was always around people who were like helping other people. So that's kind of the work that I try to go into. So even with DJing, like I 
when I DJ there, I can see people are happy and like maybe they're trying to escape from something. Maybe they're just there to have fun. Like I'm able to like help them with that. I think it's more situations that inspire me and motivate me. Like where, what situation can I put myself in where I can like make a difference to someone else's life? Um, whether that be like charity work or DJing or cooking a meal for someone or, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm I'm always like trying to trying to do that and that excites me. Like someone will be like, oh, like there's like this volunteer organization that needs a little help. I'm like, yo, I want to do that. Like, I want to help. Yeah. <laughs> and I think also with my friends, like I, I realized that when I surround myself with people who don't motivate me, like I start to get a little bit depressed. Um, mm. But when I'm around people who are like doing cool things. So a lot of my friends, like if you, if you meet them here or wherever in the world they are, they're doing interesting things. They're like giving back to society. They're working on cool art projects and, I might not be doing the same things as them, but just to see people creating and doing something useful, I think that's that's really important to me. And I need to surround myself around those sorts of people to kind of get anywhere in life. That's what I've learned. I think friends and your circle are so important in like motivating you and also deciding your path as well. Like, you know, they say birds of a feather flock together. Like the people that you surround yourself with actually can be very influential in deciding what you do with yourself and what inspirations you hold and um and and the sort of decisions that you make so you can't underestimate that and it's great that they are inspiring and talking about I guess helping people um are there or can you shout out some organizations some people who are doing like really good things for gender representation in music or just the music scenes in uh, Karachi in Pakistan the southern Asian world or just overall so the British Council of Saffron program the one that accepted uh, accepted me earlier this year they're doing a lot of different workshops um, most of it's online, obviously, because of COVID, but it's a really, really solid group of women. I think there's 15 people who got accepted. They're all musicians, all into production and promotion. Um, so that's been really cool, just just like knowing that we have a forum where we can talk. And the ladies who run it, they are all successful musicians in Pakistan from like different genres. Um, mm. So that's been really cool. And then there's a venue called District 19 here who is making a really big effort to make spaces more inclusive for women. So they've been throwing these all women club nights almost where it's like every, the staff is all women as well. So they've been opening these spaces where it's like, yeah, you can go and you can do whatever you want. Like, (laughs) yeah. So I think that's been pretty cool. So a lot of different spaces are opening up like that. I think that's really nice the district 19 venue and especially as you're talking about how um safe spaces in clubs are not guaranteed in karachi i think that's really important that you have like spaces that are you know run by women predominantly for women and um you're able to like literally be free and hopefully that kind of mentality can percolate outwards and continue to become more normal yeah i really hope so i really hope so i think it's definitely a work in progress but i think we're Mm -hmm. in the right direction hopefully Things take time, but, you know, hopefully they will happen. So looking back at your career, you've been at it for seven years. Um, What knowledge would you impart to the Lila or the, is it Mahur? Wait, let me say your name. Give me your name. Ma- Manur. Manur, the Manur who was starting out as a DJ back in, what, would that be 2014 now? I think so. Oh my gosh. I have not thought about this since <laughs> time has flown. I think it was like 2014. 2016 mate time is flying i guess i would just tell myself to just have fun with it and not take things too seriously and if you mess up a mix it's totally fine it's not the end of the world and nobody probably noticed (laughs) usually no one notices so i guess i would just reassure myself of that to be honest if you mess up a mix you can literally be like oh i messed up and like make a joke out of it like, yeah, I think um, I think if I could actually look back on myself, for example, I did a boiler room a few years ago and the way I stressed myself out about that boiler room, I literally was like, I'm going to play on three CDJs. I'm going to make sure every single mix is perfect. I put so much pressure on myself. And in hindsight, I'm like, I could have just had fun. Like, I did have fun and I don't regret it, but like, I definitely would have chilled a bit. Like, yeah, not taking it so seriously that I thought it was actually going to change my life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 100%. And I always think about this when I'm at a club and I hear a DJ mess up. I don't like think, oh my God, she fucked up, you know? It's just like, oh, whatever, like next song and you forget about it. (laughs) I try to put myself like in in the shoes of the audience. And I'm like, if I was in the audience, I would definitely 
not care that this DJ slipped. Like, it just wouldn't even, like, bother me, you know? <laughs> no, I definitely agree with you. I think um, unless your, your playing is actually awful <laughs> and you can't play anything, like, no one really cares about a mistake. And there are just so many things that are really important in life and some things that aren't. And not saying that DJing isn't important, but, like, um, there's levels to what, like, is really worth losing sleep over, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that goes for anything. Like, even if it's, like, a desk job or whatever it is, like, there's no point in putting all that, like, negative energy inside you, you know? Like, it, it, for me, I know it's a bit morbid, but I'm like, hey, like, I'm going to, like, die one day, you know? And I'm, I'm like, not. Yeah, someone else <laughs> says it. I, li- honestly, I say this all the time. <laughs> one day, I'm going to be dead. Like, <laughs> Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about stuff. Of course, it's important to, like, have some motivations and values in this life. But we're really going to die one day. So, like, this is actually what I tell myself sometimes. Even with this podcast, when I've sort of been getting really frustrated about things not going right, I'm like, I'm going to be dead one day. 100%. And I say that to people a lot and they're like, you can't think like that. I'm like, no, but that's, like, reality, dude. Like, get it together. Like, take a deep breath. Like, go outside, take a walk and, like, fucking do your shit like it's fine <laughs> just chill i think it sounds morbid and it, yeah no one wants to die but it's like the ultimate truth we're all gonna die one day so honestly let's enjoy what we have on this earth right now but also put things into perspective and be good to yourself no i so i agree with you so much on that one i'm so glad you said it because i i'm always the one saying it and my friends think i'm like some morbid like <laughs> nihilistic pessimistic person i'm like i just think i just have a realistic attitude to life that one day we're not gonna be here so i always say i can't right? kill myself i cannot kill myself over things like i cannot come and die literally mm-hmm. a high five I'm with you there. <laughs> all right so lila we are um, we're coming to the end of the show to the show we're coming to the end of the podcast as life will end so will the podcast <laughs> anyway so to finish off i want you to share a no moment when you doubted your decision to become a dj oh my goodness okay so when i first started djing i really did not want to tell my parents that i had just graduated from oh, st andrews and like had this like fancy degree and then i <laughs> I didn't want to tell my mom that, hey, like, I am DJing for, like, 50 quid an hour. (laughs) It was really hard, and I was super embarrassed. And eventually, when I did tell them, my mom was pretty upset. I don't think she spoke to me properly for a while. (laughs) And that really screwed with me, man, because I was like, you know what? Like, again, like, the whole I'm going to die one day, and, like, eventually I'll get a traditional job, and, like, I'll be able to do this. Like, I should be allowed to explore this if I really like it, like I should be allowed to explore this. Um, But I struggled with that for like a year where I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, am I, can I survive off this? And I'm like, will I be working at bars and record shops and DJing all my life? Will I be able to like have a family with this? So that really screwed my head for, for ages actually. And I did, I, I quit a lot. Um, Even this past year, like I've just been doing my radio show, but I've like, my master's is coming to an end and I'm like, Oh, like I'm back in that, mental frame where I'm like oh I have to like apply for a proper job and start my career and I stopped DJing for like a year and a half like I just like didn't I just said said no to a lot of gigs and I didn't have any inspiration I wasn't motivated so yeah it, it comes on and off I guess it's not really like even when I used to like come back from Glasgow to visit here and like uncles and aunties used to like ask me like oh what do you do I just used to lie man I'm like oh like I just like you know I work at this <laughs> yeah like, yeah yeah because <laughs> I didn't want to go through the whole thing of being like, oh, I'm a DJ. Like, half of them don't even know what a DJ is, you know? They're like, oh, so you sing at clubs. I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Literally, from a child of Nigerian parents or Nigerian family to a, a child of a Pakistani family, like, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, It's that whole, like, lack of respect in regard for the career. Especially, you know, as you say, you went to St. Andrews. I went to Warwick. Like, you go to universities that are academic and you have an academic leaning and then you do this sort of career that's very much, like, not as cerebral as, like, working for an NGO or something like that or being a lawyer but I think it kind of comes down to you kind of got to live your life and enjoy your life and you know there's enjoyment and fun to be had from this sort of stuff and as long as you're enjoying doing it then why the hell not you know yeah for sure and I kept trying to tell my parents I'm like yo like I'm Pakistani female DJ like who can say that like barely like barely anyone can say that like let me say it yeah exactly like make do do your thing with it because it's like in itself an achievement because as you said there's literally like what two DJs that you know of who are like women so 
you know. I still have my no moments, but Definitely. I'm trying to find some balance. Life is a process. You'll have your ups and downs. You haven't got to come down hard and fast on either side, you know. Um, and so tell us on the other side then. Tell us your yes moment or yes moments when you've actually been happy about your decision to be a DJ. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you how much I love it. Like, <laughs> I literally carry my USB like in my bag. And, you know, when I go to a party and I know even if I'm not DJing, I get this like itch. I'm like, fuck, I need to, yeah, yeah. I need to get behind there. I need to get behind the deck. Honestly, like, I, right I feel now. you. I've always got a USB <laughs> stick in my wallet. Just, th- just in case anyone, you know, asks me to play. Actually, one time me right? and my friend Mina, who I DJ with, we went to this sort of like party in a park um, in Berlin. And at the end, like we had this impromptu B2B because we both had our USB sticks with us. And it was so fun, like so sick. You know, I love those moments where you're just like, oh, did someone say, you know, is there a DJ in the house? <laughs> you know, like, oh, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess I just, yeah, I guess I just, it's just fun. Like, I love it. It makes me happy. In this life, that is very short. What else can we ask for, to be honest, apart from doing things that make us happy, literally? Yeah. I think that's where my head is at yeah honestly and our final one our final question so can you share a message that you received from someone that just made you feel really good made you feel empowered and sort of happy about what you do okay so I have two answers for this (laughs) my first answer is when Frankie Boyle (laughs) Frankie Boyle was he in Frankie Boyle Boyle? (laughs) what Frankie Boyle listens to my Clyde Built radio show apparently and I think it was was it this year on Valentine's Day like I I work for this this flower company here so I was like selling flowers and I and someone like posts something being like yo like Frankie Boyle is like sharing your set and I was like what I'm like, what, what the fuck are you talking about? And I go and check my Instagram and he's just like, yes, I've been writing my new book to this chick's like radio show. And I was like, what? And I, yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that is a definitely a kudos if I've ever heard of one. That's it. Like, mate, career done. So Frankie Boyle, what the hell? Like, that's sick. Oh my God. That I is, was so yeah. happy. Um. That is a validation so that, like, that you want. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for real. I, I was I was just like forwarding it to everyone. Like my ex in Glasgow, like who had like shown him to me. I was like, look, look at this. He's, we don't even like. <laughs> <laughs> like I haven't spoken to you for five years, but hey, here's my achievement. <laughs> yeah, my claim to fame. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was like my, yeah, that was, that was a big one. But otherwise I know it's like, it's a little bit cheesy, but like anytime a chick messages me being like, hey, or like after I play a set or like my radio show, if like any woman messages me going like, hey, I really enjoyed that. I don't know what it is, but I get so happy because I guess I'm like always around dudes. Like most of my friends are guys. Um, So I'm always getting like compliments from dudes, you know, and it's just like, okay, whatever. Like just like, I get it. Like you like house music, like back off. (laughs) But when a chick says it, I'm like, whoa. I'm like, dude, like, come here, give me a hug. Like, I, I'm like, I love you. She's like, I love you. I'm like, no, I love you. Thank you. And like, you know. Um, yeah, you feel the love. Because it's a bit more than that, especially as I say, you in a context where there's only two other women or you're one or two, when you get those messages, it kind of like shows that you're maybe like touching someone or like you're making a difference. So it's really cool. I like that. So Frankie Boyle and like other women, <laughs> that is pretty <laughs> decent. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Mate, I'm gonna I'm gonna tag him. I'm gonna tag him and uh hopefully <laughs> like, hey Frankie Ball, shout out to you. Also, you know, I'm Juba, feel free to listen to my radio shows and shout me out too. <laughs> I could I could do with a few more followers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nice. All right, well, Lila, uh Manur, right? Did I get it right? hmm Yeah. Did, yeah, yes. you got it. Okay. Um we have actually finished this podcast and I'm very glad it was really nice to talk to you and like talk to someone who shares my outlook on life that we're all going to die one day and there's <laughs> only limited um sort of like bandwidth to stress about things that actually are inconsequential because one day we'll be dead <laughs> <laughs> god yeah Oh my gosh. I actually had a lot of fun chatting to you. Thank you so much. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Loads of laughs and just, yeah, a lot of uh, things that I can relate to in terms of what you said. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, Lila. And I'm excited for people to hear our conversation. Thank you for having me. You take care. You take care as well. 
So this has been The Assurance Podcast, a follow-up to my documentary that explored the experiences of female DJs in Nigeria. Assurance, the documentary, focused on women in Lagos' music scene, but overall, Assurance is all about spotlighting voices away from the European and North American club scenes, which tend to dominate in conversations around gender and representation in music. And helping me share this empowering conversation have been Adidas and Zalando, who sponsored this podcast as part of their Step Into You campaign.